0: No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: Hey, this is Zach Efron, and you're listening to the Stupid Cancer Show.
0: I hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head.
1: Huh? I'm as as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore.
3: Oh, you
4: built a time machine out of a DeLorean? This is
5: the Stupid Cancer Show. Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs>
6: Hello
4: there, children! Hey, hey, kids! <laughs> People seem to like me because I am polite and I'm rarely late. And now the host of the stupid cancer show, Annie Goodman and Matthew Zack. Nothing is anything wrong with that. Because he has a lot of chip <laughs> Oh Alright. <bad. laughs>
6: Monday, May 6th, and welcome back to the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adult cancer. My name is Matthew Zachary. I am a 17-year young adult survivor of brain cancer.
5: And my name is Annie Goodman, journalist and young adult breast cancer survivor, and we're your hosts of the Stupid Cancer Show.
6: It is not okay that 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year. So, got cancer under 40? Sucks, huh? Time to get busy living, folks, because the stupid cancer show is changing the world one chemo infusion at a time.
5: Join us tonight as we open the floodgates to expose triple negative breast cancer, a misunderstood variant of the disease that affects 25,000 women each year. We'll be joined by Haley Dinerman, Malak Compton Rock, and Dr. Lisa Newman from the triple negative breast cancer foundation. And young adult triple negative breast cancer survivor Rachel Pappas in this in this spotlight.
2: The Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, a nonprofit organization that empowers young adults affected by cancer. Online at stupidcancer.org. And
6: a Stupid Cancer welcome to any and all of our first-time listeners here on the Stupid Cancer Show as we come to you live from the chemo deck, our fabulous studio in New York City. All righty.
5: It feels good to hear Kenny's voice again. Where do we
6: even begin? We missed you, Kenny.
2: Where do we begin? Where have you been? (laughs) Cue Johnny Cash. (laughs) Uh, I've been everywhere, man.
6: Yeah, yeah, you have been everywhere.
2: I left uh, just short of a month ago on the stupid cancer road trip. Uh, We left from New York City, went up to Boston, and through the uh, sea to shining sea, the beautiful United States of America, 5,000 miles, Boston to San Diego, ultimately to Las Vegas. Had a blast. Met a lot of people. Saw a lot of things. Did a lot of stuff. And had a great time doing it. And then, Matthew, I think I saw you in Vegas. I uh, I found
6: myself at McCarran Airport one day.
5: <laughs> <laughs> I was there, too.
6: Yeah. Um, and I said to myself, wow, well, I'm with Annie. <laughs> McCarran and, Airport. And, and Sal. And Sal. And, and Maureen. And Maureen. And uh, it was just like a... Might as well stay. I'll
2: let you in on a little known secret. I was actually doing laps around McCarran while you guys were getting to your shuttle, trying to be like, hey, and surprise you. But I think that where they have the shuttles go is like this secret portal that's not accessible to the general public. Oh, yeah? I could never quite get in there, and I figured by the time I did get in there, they'd kick me out as soon as I did go in there. Oh, Like they
5: thought you were going to, like, terrorize us or something? Yeah, I don't know. I tried... You uh, tried You tried to terrorize us, but you were unsuccessful.
2: I did. I, I was quite unsuccessful at terrorizing the stupid cancer posse that arrived at McGarren
6: Airport. That's too bad. So, um. anyway, let's talk about the road trip.
2: Yes. What would you like to know? Uh,
6: I understand you drove a car. I did. Across the country.
2: What would kind of car was it? It was a Chevrolet Volt, also known as a Chevy Volt, also known as... Uh, a great car. That was a blast to drive, a blast to learn how to drive. Not that it's difficult or anything. It's just very uh unique. You can adjust your driving style. There's a really nice onboard entertainment system that prompts you to do X, Y, and Z. Um and you can you know, it's kind of like if you floor it and if you jam on the brakes, <clears throat> you're gonna learn real quick how to not do that and maximize <laughs> your not do that. And maximize your fuel efficiency and your your battery life and, and all that good stuff. So in that regard, it was a lot of fun. The car was really solid. Uh, there were no moments of like, ah, uh, like I know in the past we've when we had thought about the road trip, we we were thinking of other cars that might be viable that may not have been as large as the Chevy Volt. Um, so it was nice to have an, a solid vehicle that we were able to uh, lounge in, I'll say. John actually was able to set up a little uh, editing suite in the back seat. And uh he had a blast doing that on some of our late
6: night drives as we made our way. So you stopped in twelve cities 12, in total.
2: Yeah. I mean you know what it was more than that? We I would say the meetups were twelve cities. Right. But for example, we would stop in I'll say Denver for the meetup, but we slept in like Trinidad, Colorado. So we were it's Trinidad? A Trinidad, Colorado. There is there is it's about an hour and a half, maybe two hours from the uh New Mexico border. That was our longest day. We drove from Trinidad to Phoenix, eleven and a half hours straight, with a two-hour stop, maybe hour and a half stop in Albuquerque. I was able to connect with a friend of mine who lives out there, and we, uh, you know, we just took a little breather. Um, I'm proud to say that I did the entire drive by myself. John did not take over on the duties. We, we, I think <laughs> you we, said duty. <laughs> we, we got to like Tulsa, and he's like, dude, he's like, I'll just drive, and he knows that I like driving for right. last year. I was like, you know what? I think I might just go for it. So by the time we got to Phoenix, I was pretty much
6: spent after eleven yeah. and a half hours. I can't believe you did that. Yes. So
5: so. What was the fastest you went?
6: The car only goes 100. It only goes 100.
5: Uh, only. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
2: I would say the average cruising speed in the United States is around 85 miles an hour without.
5: Yeah. Uh, without, I believe
2: it. Without any sort of uh, imperative danger. Right. You know, everybody else is.
5: I lived in middle America for college. I believe it. All, yeah. the, all
2: the other kids are doing it. Well, yeah. isn't the speed limit in Texas 80 anyway? It's like 75. Yeah, yeah. We didn't go through Texas, so. Right. We actually got a lot. The, the only, like, not the only communication, but some of the, the more frequent communications we were receiving was that, hey, why aren't you coming through Texas? It's, you know, a really massive state. <laughs> right. So <laughs> Next year. Yeah, well, next year we'll probably have to do a more northern route, I would think. Maybe. Maybe like a, a Detroit, Chicago, Des Moines, North Dakota. Seattle. I want to see you at the, the
6: Corn Palace in North Dakota. Mm-hmm. That's what I want.
5: Is that a place, or did you just make
6: that up? No, out? it's a real corn. It's called the Corn Palace. It's oh, okay. made of corn.
5: Yeah, it was, that it, sounds awesome.
6: <laughs> making me
2: hungry. We, I would say that we definitely maximized the trip, though. I was looking at the uh, some of the PR outreach. I think I did like seven or eight. You were like in, all in, over
6: the media. In-person in
2: yeah. live interviews, which is great for for us, for GM, for no, The exposure O&E. was off the
6: hook. It was great. It was a blast. Yeah, it did good, too. Even that morning show in Boston where you were like, totally just oh my exhausted. God. I, and...
2: I was, well, the story behind that was um, I had dropped the car off to get wrapped, and the guy was like, yeah, we'll have it done, you know, I'll say by the afternoon. Right. So the afternoon turned into 8 p.m. Oh, God. And then 8 p.m. turned into picking John up here at 9, and then we saw you at 10 before we left. Right. And we got to East Hartford, Connecticut by 1 in the morning, 1.30 in the morning, and had to be up at 7.30. Oh, boy. So, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't quite remember everything I said. <laughs> uh, I think we got the point across. My mom's like, oh, it was so cute. You kept saying, so we did this, so
6: we did that. I'm like, thanks, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> um, Exactly. Exactly. Well, congratulations. Thank you. And the summit was an epic success. And I say epic with brackets.
5: Yes. <laughs> It was my first one ever.
6: Yeah, let's let's get your perspective. And actually, we have a special guest here we're going to bring out in just a second. Uh, so, Annie, your first experience at a official stupid cancer, not the OMG East, but the, the Grand yeah. Hoobah.
5: I've never met people where you could talk really openly about your body part, like guys and girls, where you just talk about really embarrassing things within like 30 seconds of meeting each other. Hi, vagina. Hi, what body part did you ever move? <laughs> and it's like you talk about not having nipples, or guys talking about having prosthetic balls. I did not know that prosthetic balls were a thing.
6: Apparently. I thought
5: I thought that was like a storyline in Sex and the City. Right. When Steve had testicular cancer, I thought that was a, I thought that was like a storyline because he wanted to get one because he thought he looked weird. Yeah. And um, it's a thing. I met guys who had them. My dad. They was just can- told me about it, not like they showed me. <laughs> but I was like. Because I made a joke that, because some people, you know, who got there early, they hung out in the uh, suite, the big real-world suite, and they were right. talking about hanging, like, cooking themselves in the hot tub, and I made a joke, I was like, I'd probably pop a boob if I was in the hot tub for <laughs> the hours that they were, because we were supposed to be in it for like 40 minutes in general, but they were in the hot tubs for like four hours,
1: insane. so
5: I made a joke about how my boob would probably explode, and they were like, oh, I didn't think about that, i have stinging balls, and I was like... <laughs> That's real? Yeah. So that's the type of stuff that, it's kind of, like, nice to talk to other people about it. Fun fact of the day. Yeah. I was so, I couldn't believe it. So I kept asking people questions, and they told me they had a fake ball. I was like, you really felt that strong? I mean, it's not like girls really pay attention, but it's like a total. If you're
2: walking crooked,
6: I can see. My my
2: dad was going to get a brass one. That would be awesome. Exactly.
6: Well, we are joined tonight, special guest and OMG 2013 speaker, uh, William Bill Tenzer. Good evening.
1: Evening. Thank you for having me here as a guest.
6: Welcome to New York. My pleasure. Totally spontaneous, right? Mm Mm-hmm. What are you doing in town?
1: Well, we were at uh, the uh, OMG Stupid Cancer two weekends ago. Last weekend, we went to the uh, Weekend of Hope in Stowe, Vermont. And our daughter lives in Manhattan. Uh, she is a breast cancer survivor. Just had a baby back in November against all the medical predictions.
6: Mazel Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> so we're
1: here to enjoy our beautiful, uh, miracle, blessed granddaughter.
6: And uh, how was your experience at OMG and as a speaker and first-time virgin to our culture?
1: A uh, Virgin no more, I would say. Uh, <laughs> I was, uh, there are so many different dimensions that I was affected by, all positive, all powerful. I've said to many people in blog that we came home on a red eye with red eyes because the stories are palpable of uh, talking at breakfast or lunch to people a third my age and listening to what they were going through and traveling through the place I call Cancerville with dignity, with hope, with strength and courage. Uh, was very inspiring, uh, has even changed my focus on the next book I'm planning to write, which will be directed at the young survivors. So it had a powerful impact on me, as well as the amazing growth that uh, this organization has managed uh, in such a short time. I, I'm just so impressed with this mighty band of uh, Of uh, marketing uh, mavens. Misfits. I was going to go with misfits. (laughs) Misfits.
2: (laughs) And now I remember we met in the elevator near the ballroom. Yes. Mm -hmm.
6: So I was not quite in a haze. a small Mm haze. Well, we are really thrilled to have met you uh, over the course of the last couple of months and invited you into our universe, and now you're down the rabbit hole.
1: Well, I'm happy to be here, and I hope to stay.
6: Well, this is the Stupid Cancer Show. Indeed. And welcome to the party here. Uh, Bill's going to be sitting in for the rest of the show, listening into how our misfitian, misfit them stuff happens. Exactly. I just made that up. Uh, I couldn't tell. I, 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 it, they're not real words, clearly. Anyway, <sighs> let's get on with the show. Tonight's show is about triple negative breast cancer, which apparently is a very specific kind of breast cancer that affects an Annie. You had this, right? I did. So we have, we have resident expert sitting here, uh, born of experience. And uh, we'll be welcoming our first guest right now. Please join me. Uh, Rachel Pappas is a young adult survivor of cancer. Uh, the hardest relationship in her life, but the one most saving. Uh, I'm reading her bio incorrectly because apparently I'm too caffeinated. Okay. Her website is called One Up on Cancer, focusing on integrative cancer care, a very important topic that we discuss very frequently here at Stupid Cancer. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, Rachel Poppas. Rachel. Hi. Hi there. How are you? Thanks for joining us tonight. So I, I have to interject. Yes. Rachel and
2: I met in person in a very cool place. Rachel, and this is did. Kenny.
0: I know. I recognized your voice. How are you? Good. How are you now doing? Now you
2: pique my curiosity. Yes. So we met at the Crystal in London, England. Oh, that's right. At the Turn Your City Pink event that Siemens so graciously hosted and and had us come over for, that was like an out of body experience.
0: It uh, was. That's as far away from home as I've ever been.
2: Likewise, likewise. I'm I'm itching to go back. I had such so much fun. Yeah. So that was my interjection.
6: Okay, you may go now. Okay,
5: I'll see you later. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. I went to Starbucks. See you later.
6: We'll right. run
0: into each other in Paris next time, I guess.
6: Exactly. <laughs> So, anyway, Rachel, tell us your story. We'd, we'd love to just dig down into this. You, get, I, you know, Just in reading some basic stuff, um, you know, through the lens of the young adult world, it's an emblematic story.
0: So what would you like to know first about triple negative, my experience with triple negative? Your experience, um, well,
6: just your personal story. What was your life like before? You were just, you know, rolling in the hills of green grass, and all of a sudden this crap happens yeah. and blah, blah, blah. Yes.
0: Honestly, it wasn't exactly rolling in the greenest grass. We were um, Living in Long Island?
1: <laughs>
0: no. <laughs> New Jersey. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, Maryland. But anyway, so um, my story is kind of like two stories that tie in. I think we're going to focus more on obviously cancer, and specifically I can tell you a little about triple negative, but... While you are asking, I was just rolling along in the green grass. Now, my, my, our daughter, my husband's and my daughter, Marina, we had a very rocky relationship. Um, we were just starting to heal without going into all the details from a lot, a whole lot that, that was happening. Um, she was in and out of psychiatric placements partially because she was predisposed. She's doing beautifully now, though. By the way, um, but um, we were just just starting to heal. I myself was diagnosed bipolar, so we're we've got this ride going along, going along, going along. And I, um, about the time that I said I don't need, and she and I were starting to get better. I mean, it wasn't like all of a sudden things were perfect, but we were starting to heal. And I was starting to feel a little better. Right about the time I thought, Oh, I don't need antidepressants or mood stabilizers anymore, I go off and oh, that's about two weeks later I got my my cancer diagnosis. I said, Never mind <laughs> back on them in a flash. But um so um,
6: So what was your career like before you were diagnosed? My career, what was your life?
0: My what was my whole life like? My whole life was um a stay at home mom writing. Um I was having to spend a lot of time with my daughter until about a year before all this happened in in and out of
6: So uh, what were your symptoms?
0: And I My symptoms? My cancer symptoms? Yes. Oh, oh, I thought you said what was I doing? Um none. I had none, which is kind of freaks you out a little more and quite frankly I think a lot of women um with breast cancer will tell you the same thing. I had gone in for a I had gone in for a um my routine mammogram and I was told everything was fine. This is 2 months before, about 2 months before I felt the lump like popping out. So I go back and I ignored it because I have lumpy breasts anyway. I'm like, you know, I can't go in like every 2 weeks, so I ignored it and uh, um I waited uh, a month. Don't ever do that, ladies or men. Don't ever do that. I was like, I'm I'm I'm, you know, I always have lumps, you know. So I, um, it, this one was bothering me. It just wasn't going away. It was harder than the other ones. Um, so I go in. Mammogram missed it again. But but I had an ultrasound.
3: Mm-hmm. I you
0: know I had an ultrasound. Um, on top of it, my doc, my ob ordered the ultrasound as well, just just in case it wasn't caught. And just in case something was wrong. And it did but show did it show ultrasound. up on
5: your mammogram? Did you, did you go back? When the second time you went back, did you get on the mammogram or just go straight for it the ultrasound? It did not show up
0: again. It right. did not show up again. This is three days before my biopsy. Right. And well, it the thing would,
5: about triple negative is it moves so quickly, and that's one of the problems with triple negative is, you know, you could have a normal mammogram, especially in your 30s, and then it could come along two months later, and by the time you come back for your next exam, it could be pretty, you know, pretty severe. Yeah. But also, so I think. But it's a good heard... thing that your doctor took you serious and gave you an ultrasound. Yeah. That's, that's the best, you know, yeah. one of the best and ways to detect it.
0: And I guess you've heard women with dense breasts, and most young women have dense breasts, that um, it's much harder to catch on a mammogram. Uh, I read online this woman um, from Hopkins, uh, some kind of doctor, I'm assuming radiologist, more <clears throat> college, said, trying to catch a. A, a tumor on a woman with dense breasts is like trying to find a polar bear in a snowstorm. Yeah, that's also why they sound a lot of women for
5: MRIs. Especially, you know, the younger you are, the more lumpy, more dense your breasts can be, and that's you know that's an issue that all young women, yep. who unfortunately are put yep. on so this road. So okay, so you had the ultra, you had the ultrasound done, you had the biopsy done. Then what happened? Did you get a phone call? Did they call you back yeah, in? Well, Did they give you any he,
0: type of indication that something was wrong? The radiologist walked in and told me he thought I had cancer um, when I had the ultrasound. And so I asked the um, my breast surgeon that she's poking me with a needle, and she goes, "Yes, I do. You do have. I'm pretty certain you have cancer." So um, I was. I had been freaking out for a few days. I continued to freak out until the time I got the call. Um, was still freaking out at the time I got the you have cancer call, but by this point I, I had known it anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, it was made pretty clear to me. So my mind raises, I'm that kind of person, and uh, my next question was, do you have any clue what stage it is? You You're know, like she's going to be able to tell right away, and she said, quote, unquote, I am hoping stage three. Right. So <clears throat> just a frantic um Whirlwind. I'm sure you remember. I don't. I guess everyone's different. For me, and I think a lot of people. Maybe you two. Um, the beginning was the hardest. Yeah. A little PTSD. You know, all the, being right. brand new oh, to it. I think. You know. uh,
5: I think it's not just breast cancer. It's everybody who's have been told they have breast cancer. Yeah. A
0: little PTSD never hurt anybody.
5: Right. Exactly. Right. Breast exactly. cancer
0: virgin. Right. Yeah. <laughs> when you're still so new to it.
5: Yeah. So, so then I'm guessing, um, you know, you went in for some surgery, some chemotherapy, the whole shebang. Right. Yeah, right.
6: what uh, what center were you at? By the way, you're you're from where right now? Maryland. Okay, and what were you at Hopkins?
0: No, I went to um in in I went into Bethesda because my OBGYN is in Montgomery County, not too far from Bethesda. Bethesda's going a little closer to Washington DC than to Baltimore. Got Though it. I live probably I live in between Baltimore and DC, probably a little closer to Baltimore.
6: Were you pleased with the your care?
0: Uh, I was pleased with the breast surgeon. Um, my first oncologist was good, um, considered one of the best. She actually was Hopkins trained. Um, wasn't completely happy, so I did I did stay with her through my treatment just because I didn't want to switch in the middle and because I was in a clinical trial and I didn't want to. You know, I was told I'd have to drop out of the trial. Mm-hmm. And I, what made you choose a trial as opposed
5: to the regular? you know, standard adriamycin, cytoxin, taxol regimen.
0: That is actually what I got because I was in the control group. And, oh, is that a story that I went through to be in the trial and then to hear I was in the control group, I was like, ah. But, you know, just one little tiny bump along the way. But um, I chose it because my oncologist um, said that she, she thought it would be a very good idea that, you know, um, with triple negative as you know there's very very limited options after your 60 year old chemo while well, Toxel is a newer one it's what 20 years old But mm-hmm. um, and she was just totally she was a scientist a researcher and he was totally excited about all of what was happening with the um, she, in fact she was at a triple negative breast cancer convention <laughs> while I was waiting to be seen by her um, I had got sent away at what was coming for my first um, chemo and I got sent home because something had shown in my liver and they didn't bother to tell me until the day I walked in for chemo. But, um, so I had to wait yet another week and when she came back she was all excited about this convention and she just said this is the way to go, this is how we're going to learn more. At the very least, um, this will not be worse and will probably be better.
6: So one it's, of the issues that young adults face is the issue of fertility. You already, already have a child did yes. they discuss any of that with you during these uh these, these early times? No. Okay. I wasn't well the, going to
0: have another child anyway, so I wasn't too you know right,
6: but the, the 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 protocol should in theory be that if you have a young adult in their fertile years you should have at least the conversation with them.
7: Mhm.
6: All right. So that's good information to have that we've got work to do, which is interesting. Um all right, so then Let's, uh, let's talk through aftermath then. You know, how are you now? What's going on? Uh, follow-ups? Uh, isn't there's a connection to ovarian cancer, correct? Are you BRCA1? Yes. you BRCA no, positive? No, I was not.
0: I, was, I okay. went through the BRCA testing because I have every risk factor for it. Um, I went through the BRCA testing, um, and I was negative, but I was mm-hmm. told that there's only so many panels to keep getting tested, you know, as new ones come out. I'm three and a half years out now. I'm um, three and, as, and a half years is a big deal in the triple y- negative world. Yes, yeah, three years is the first happy dance. Actually, mm-hmm. every day is a happy dance. So that's the first considered rather significant, as you know. And um, so, you know, I just kind of keep my fingers crossed, and I'm just spending more time trying to heal um, emotionally from a lot of things that had happened prior, and this is kind of like. Um, I don't want to sound cliche a wake up call. It didn't totally change me. people say cancer you know changed me this is not gold box with three beers, where all of a sudden life's perfect. you know, happy ending, good moral, learned, and all this but um i it was I've been just working as much on healing in relationships, especially with my daughter, and um trying to catch myself every time I say or do what I don't want to do because he just realized now, you know, hey. You know, I get so many heartbeats. Mm-hmm.
6: <laughs> Indeed. So I want to just briefly we have about a minute or two left. I want to talk about your website, one up on cancer and your focus on in- integrative cancer care. That phrase itself means, um, you know, different things to different people. But what is your interpretation of, of integrative cancer care?
0: My interpretation, and this is something that a lot of doctors will tell you, make sure you use the word integrative, If you quote me, not complementary alternative. Integrative typically is using um, conventional and natural, meaning herbs, diet, exercise, all that. You combine all that with whatever conventional options you might have, which could be chemo, it could be radiation, it could be surgery. So you would combine all of those things, all of lifestyle and what you can do on your own. And a lot of what I write about, let's see, I've written, um, I, do a com- I have a few categories I, I, I have. One, one is like diet, it would be like foods and supplements and herbs. So that's like nutrition. I do a whole lot on that. Um, I do a lot on exercise, which would be mind and body exercise, and cover things like stress reduction. I do things on survivor issues, a lot of the same cool stuff you guys do um, under that category. You know, it might be returning to work, you know, or getting through work while you you have cancer and in treatments. And then I do um, survivor stories. I'm getting ready to interview a, a 78-year-old metastatic lung cancer patient who um, is getting ready to take a something like 600, 700 mile motorcycle bike ride. She's a motorcycle lady, a Harley woman. 78 with metastatic cancer. So I find these cool stories like that. And then I have um, also under integ- I have an integrative cancer care page that has practitioners that write for it, and they'll cover a lot of the same topics, but you're hearing it directly from the integrative oncologist or the oncology, the therapist who works with cancer survivors. Or the dietitian.
6: Well, that's that's incredible. That's really wonderful. You are, again, I mentioned this is a show about the young adult cancer experience, and and I mean we all have uh, our, our shit to deal with in our lives at any different stage, but it's how you choose to live as meaningfully as you possibly can and navigate around that. So, uh, congratulations on on all that you've accomplished and everything that you're doing to you know just. Make a difference. I think it's it's empowering, and the fact that you met Kenny, and uh, still wanted to come on the show, um, <laughs> in and of itself,
2: it's quite it's quite fascinating,
6: actually. Yes. So, um, enjoy Maryland, uh, enjoy DC, enjoy your family, enjoy your health. God bless you, and thank you so much for coming on the show tonight, Rachel.
0: Thanks so much for having me. Bye, thank Rachel. you,
6: Rachel. Papas, everyone. <laughs> All righty. Let's set up the news here real quick. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is I on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. All right, Kenny, you, you went on like 30,000 <laughs> road trips. I meter. did. Well, we, well, there's a huge wave after OMG
2: of tons of stuff. There is. So head on over to events.stupidcancer.org, your one-stop shop calendar for all of our social and educational events nationwide. Something will be happening in your neck of the woods, and we certainly don't want you missing out. We have one meetup coming up. There's actually several pending, but I just haven't had the time. Imagine that, to create the event. So Saturday, May 18th, in Berkeley, California, there's a meetup. And uh, hopefully next week we'll
6: have a bunch more for you. Is that it? No, there's a New York City meetup, isn't there? No. You posted it today. No. No. I think you That's
2: one of the pending ones.
6: Oh, a pending ones. All right, everyone's going to have to hold their tongue until next week. Okay. All right, the Stupid Cancer Store has scores of awesome products for sale right now, from pins and pens and stickers and t-shirts and hoodies and hats and beanies and all sorts of great stuff. Um, Be proud where Stupid Cancer is The Stupid Cancer Forums have nearly
2: 5,000 members. This is your premier online community to connect with survivors, patients, parents, and caregivers just like you. Visit stupidcancerforums.org and sign up with one click through Facebook.
6: And that is is your Stupid, Stupid Cancer News. News. <laughs> what? Yay. I don't know what just happened. All right, 8.30 on the Stupid Cancer Show. Time for our main segment here. You're up, Annie.
5: All right, so we're going to continue the conversation about triple negative breast cancer with Haley Dinnerman. She's the acting executive director, of Malak Compton-Rock, who is a member of the board, and Dr. Lisa Newman, who's on the scientific advisory board from the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation.
6: Okay, so Haley, Rachel, Malak, welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show.
4: Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you
6: for having us. That applause was just for you.
4: (laughs) And we love the music.
6: (laughs) Actually, if you can guess what movie that's from, you win a prize.
7: Really? Yeah. Yeah. You
5: have to think about that. I don't don't even have a clue. (laughs) It's a film by
6: Elmore Leonard. Huh. That
5: that does nothing to help me. (laughs) That's just a
6: loser. You can ignore him. I'm sorry. My mom mom has a master's in film, and I just waste my time remembering stuff I'm not supposed to. (laughs) From Get Shorty. Oh. Oh,
5: oh no, we we that, that was a good one.
6: Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, welcome to the show. I'm really excited that we have not covered this topic in over three years on the radio show, and I think it's time. There's been a lot of science, a lot of progress, a lot of awareness done on those, and, and who better to lead the uh, the thought leadership on this than, than you three amazing women uh, coming on the show. Annie has sung your praises. I can't wait to meet you all in person at the uh, the event coming up this month. So let's just start at the top. Um I would love to just have Haley chime in on the origins of a triple negative breast cancer foundation.
7: Um, Well, I'd love to do that. Um, You know, our foundation is a fairly young foundation. We started about six and a half years ago when um, my friend Nancy uh, was diagnosed with triple negative breast cancer. Um, We were all part of a mommy and me baby group, (laughs) Um, and so we really became friends at a time where, You know, our lives were changing, and we just got very close to each other. Um, And so when Nancy was diagnosed, this small group of friends just kind of rallied together, rallied around her, tried to see what it was that we could do to help support her. Um, And most of us were, you know, professional women, and so, you know, the first thing we thought to do was research triple negative breast cancer. And when we did that, we found that there was – almost nothing available um, in terms of online resources about the disease um, and information. And so we decided that um, we, you know, would go ahead and start a foundation. Um, it was something that Nancy felt, you know, strongly about, helping others. And so um, we naively, I mean, not knowing that we couldn't do this, we decided to send out emails to people like um Eric Weiner, Lisa Carey, George Sledge. We just called some of them up. And we didn't realize at the time that they were giants in this field. Um, They all agreed to serve as our scientific advisory board. And then, you know, over time we were able to add other unbelievable um, talent to our advisory board. Lisa Newman, who's on on the show with us tonight, is an example, Um, and Susan Domchek as well. And uh, from there, we started um, pulling together the scientific community, um, convening annual symposia to, you know, ignite interest in the disease and to really spark conversation and collaborations in the medical community. Um, And that was um, just so thrilling to be a part of. Um, Now, when you look around and, you know, in terms of conferences that focus on breast cancer, triple negative is you know, a topic back then, it wasn't. And so we felt that we brought something to the table that wasn't there. So that was exciting. Um, And we also, over time, developed, you know, numerous resources for women with triple negative breast cancer. The one we're probably most proud of is our um, online community through our online forums where, you know, women from around the world and and their families with triple negative breast cancer, um, you know, they support each other, they share information about the disease, about treatment, um, and it's just a tremendous resource among the many others that we offer. Um, We also support research uh, that's specifically aimed at, you know, finding targeted treatments for triple negative breast cancer, and we're always trying to expand what we offer and what we invest in, and uh, so it's, it's a very exciting thing to be a part of.
5: Yeah, the organization, I was introduced very early on when I was diagnosed with triple negative. I found out the day before I mastectomy that I had triple negative. I uh, I knew what it was because I'm familiar with Jennifer Griffin. Um, I know her th- in the biz, and uh, she reached out to you guys on my behalf after I was diagnosed, and that's how I got intertwined with all you guys and been. Spend- Amazing! So I'm looking forward to the benefit this year because I will not have a wig on, and I can wear heels. I was in so much pain last year from Nupagen. I had to wear flats, and I was so bummed out to wear this like fancy pink dress and wear flats. But
4: you still Malak, look beautiful. Oh, thank,
5: thank you. you. Right. But Malak, why don't you tell us a little about how you got involved and what you've been doing with the foundation?
4: Sure, I'd love to. Um, I got involved very early on, um, again through uh, the mommy. The New Jersey Mommy Network and and all of us ladies having kids the same age. Um, my background is nonprofit and fundraising and special events and PR. So um, one of one of the girls called me and asked um, if I could help come up with a way that we could raise um, a significant amount of money um, to really kickstart the foundation. Um, and that 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 became the first Peace, Love, and a Cure, which, as you know, we're going to be um, hosting our sixth annual on May 21st. Um, the first Peace, Love, and a Cure was held at my home, um, which started our traditions of, of, of using homes as the venue, which people really seem to enjoy. Um, and our whole community really um, just embraced us. Um, we spent next to nothing on that first uh, event. Um, And raised $230,000, which was a huge amount for us um, and really enabled us to move the foundation to the next steps. Um, And, you know, Nancy was with us. And so um, the event was held in honor of her. And she knew that we were well on our way to realizing the dreams that she had of supporting other women. Um, So since that time, I've stayed intricately involved, as you know, Annie, Mm -hmm. as an event committee member, um, in Peace, Love, and a Cure. I'm proud to say that each year um, we bring, you know, new donor base. We bring um, some exciting honorees. As you know, we're honoring Revlon, Inc. this year. We're honoring uh, Krista Stone as our survivor or our thriver. And she's the mom of the wonderful actress um, Emma Stone, who will be on hand to give awards to both Revlon and her mom, and Dr. Domchet, who is an extraordinary uh, pioneer in BCRA research. Um, And we're saluting Congresswoman Sheila Jackson-Lee, a congresswoman from uh, Texas, whose main um, uh, area is is inner-city Houston. Um, herself a breast cancer survivor, and as a legislator, is just doing great work by introducing a triple-negative bill uh, in, to Congress for, um, for research. So, you know, my passion remains with raising funds and awareness, but also I'm quite proud that Haley and I have been working hard, um, and actually uh, Dr. Newman as well, on um, a new initiative to ensure that we give the resources necessary to a population that is disproportionately affected by this kind of cancer, and that's African-American women. And particularly those who um, are low income um, and may not be able to go to the best cancer sitters, we want to ensure that we are giving them support that they need in a way that they understand, a way that they feel embraced, um, a way that they feel supported, um, and make sure that we balance that playing field as it pertains to access.
6: Right, and um, that's the magic word these days, is that the research is only as good as the access you have to that, that care. Exactly. Along with the literacy of the providers who can connect the two together.
4: Exactly.
6: So I think that's, that's, that kind of sums up the whole point of advocacy is you're not just looking out for their wellness once they get treatment. It's like you have to get them to be aware that there is treatment and there's Without a way to a get, get to that treatment. So so let's go to Dr. Newman for a second, Lisa. First of all, t- time out here. I, I've seen this a thousand times in 20 years. What does FACS mean?
3: Oh, a fellow <laughs> in the American College of Surgeons.
6: Thank you. Okay, I I, can, I have closure. Twenty years of closure. Thank you so much. Okay, so all right. So you're a surgical oncologist. You're at Michigan. We have a lot of friends at Michigan. It's a great, great, great uh, clinic, great center. All right, let's talk science for a second. Um, so, what what is the latest and greatest in the world of science for the BRCA and the triple negative? There's there's a lot of dialogue out there. Askell keeps discussing it. San Antonio. What's your perspective on where we where where we've been, where we are, and where you think we're going?
3: Well, it's interesting that you comment on that in the perspective of where we've been and where we're going, because listening to these two fabulous women, uh, Malak and Haley, it's just such an incredible reminder of how so much of what we've learned in breast cancer. And the vast majority of the advances that we've made are really due to empowered, extraordinary women, such as the the ones that you're hearing from tonight and uh, women behind the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation. The bulk of the advances that we've made in surgery, minimally invasive surgery, less disfiguring surgery, advances that we've made in understanding breast cancer, they've really all been due to um, incredible women who've been very driven and who have made sure that the funding and the resources are there to direct uh, research in the proper directions. So I want to congratulate them and uh, thank them for everything that they've accomplished. And we really have come a long way. The concept of having a triple negative breast cancer is related to this uh, burgeoning fund of knowledge regarding the heterogeneity of breast cancer as a disease. And not very long ago, couple of decades ago we really did look at breast cancer as being one type of a problem and the treatments were all fairly generic for the, uh, the breast cancer diagnosis. But we all witnessed that some women would have a fabulous outcome and uh, others would have a less fortunate outcome and suffer from the pain and, uh, and life-threatening aspects of the disease. And we knew that We had to come up with more refined, more sophisticated ways of understanding which patients needed which treatments, but it was a um, torturous road to to, to figure out uh, some of the, the answers to those questions. But ultimately, where we stand today, at any rate, is that we are able to dissect out to identify different subsets of breast cancer based upon for the most part, three specific markers that we look for on any breast cancer biopsy material. So when I say marker, I'm, look, I'm talking about specific stains that are applied to a breast biopsy. When we are looking at a sample of breast tissue under the microscope, we apply these specific stains to look for three different markers, the most prominent markers being these three, estrogen receptor, progesterone receptor, and her 2 New. We have very good treatments that can target those three markers in a breast cancer, but the cancers that are negative for those markers, the cancers that fail to express all three of those markers are the ones that we call the triple negative breast cancers. And they account for about 15% of all of the breast cancers that we diagnose they are very important cancers to identify appropriately however because these are the cancers that in general tend to be the most challenging ones to to treat successfully for the long term
5: and it also hits young women the most i was yes. i was 30 years mm-hmm. old and had i had no idea when i went to the gynecologist that i was going to be diagnosed 2 days later with breast cancer so what's also the connection with the young adult community and triple negative breast cancer
3: Yeah, you're absolutely correct. The triple negative breast cancers disproportionately affect young women, and uh, as Malak mentioned, they disproportionately affect women with African ancestry. So here in the United States, we see triple negative breast cancers twice as commonly in African-American women diagnosed with breast cancer. And if you look at women from sub-Saharan Africa, you see it uh, three to four times more commonly. So there does seem to be uh, a link with uh, certain uh, racial ethnic background.
6: Lisa, and, is the data skewed or is it authentic based on we just know about it more and more women are getting diagnosed, or is there been sort of a, sort of a historical accuracy, is that, it, or is it an ever-increasing number?
3: Well, it's hard to say. I think it's a combination of both. It's entirely possible that certain environmental, uh, reproductive, and lifestyle patterns could be influencing the actual population-based incidence rates of the disease, but we are also coming to uh, recognize it better because we are testing more aggressively and we have better ways of understanding the tests that identify these triple negative breast cancers. We are also developing a better appreciation for the uh, heritable um, aspects of the disease. And so women with a triple negative breast cancer at any age, young, middle-aged, or in the older age range, are more likely to have inherited susceptibility for breast cancer. Women who have inherited genetic mutations that are putting them at greater risk for getting breast cancer. So in the past, we used to say that any woman diagnosed with breast cancer younger than age 40, we automatically wanted to evaluate them for inherited predisposition. If a woman is diagnosed with a triple negative breast cancer, even in the older age categories, we look for inherited mutation. So we are understanding more about risk factors for this disease, and we are working very, very hard in the research arena to develop targets, to develop markers that might be used for more definitive, more successful treatments of these triple negative breast cancers. But I also don't want to, be, want to sound fatalistic about these tumors. When they are detected early, they can be treated very, very effectively. So we I do so. want women to come out and get themselves screened for breast cancer, even if they do have risk factors for triple negative breast cancer, because the treatments will still be effective for these tumors. But you have to diagnose them, and then you have to act promptly.
5: Right, and Malak, one of the, you know, we you, I know you touched on it briefly, one of the big risk factors is for African Americans, and one of the problems is that they're being diagnosed at a later stage. Um, a lot of that is demographic, and I know you said the word access. So one of the things I know you've been working really hard, hard on is all your work with the Jacoby Medical Center. So why don't you tell right. us, you know, start to finish everything you've been doing and, uh, you know, where it stands, what we're trying to change. 1980, Reagan was elected president.
6: <laughs> <Go
4: next. laughs> um You know, we're really, really excited about it. We, um, Myself, along with Haley and the rest of our board and our past executive director, uh, Lori Redmer, um, really did the due diligence in terms of um, talking to those who've kind of been working with this community um, for much longer than we have, um, really going into the community, talking with patients, spending a lot of time with patients, asking questions about what, do they need, what do they think they should have had prior to diagnosis that would have possibly made their diagnosis at an earlier stage, and what do they need to ensure that they um, get successfully treated from diagnosis through treatment. So we spent a lot of time, and I'm thrilled to say that um, we're moving full steam ahead with our partnership um, with Jacoby Medical Center, which is located in the Bronx. Um, has an extremely um, uh, low income uh, patient demographic also um, a minority patient demographic and unfortunately they do see um, lots of triple negative uh, patients in their clinic. Um, So our partnership is twofold. The first and I think something that we're really excited about is that we're funding um, a patient navigator so we're funding an employee who will work directly with those Um, diagnosed with triple negative breast cancer and ensure that they help them navigate these new waters, right? Ensure that they get to all of their appointments. Ensure that they're able to get all the medication that they need. Ensure that they're able to get transportation um, to chemotherapy sessions. Ensure that their children are taken care of if they don't have the money for child care. Ensure that they have a refrigerator worth of food. Ensure that their cell phone gets paid so that they can call when they need them to All those things that if, you know, fortunately you um, have the money to do, you wouldn't even think of, really. But there are so many barriers to um, getting successfully treated. Our patient navigator will ensure that those barriers are broken down one by one. Um, So that's one thing. And the other thing that we think is extremely important and we're doing with Jacoby is that we're going into the community. We're going into the community to um, talk about um, getting mammographies regularly, um, in doing self-breast examinations, and what you do if you do find a lump, and when our our folks in the field um, bring bring people in to get that mammography, they'll be right there immediately with the next step if indeed the mammography um, comes out with some sort of abnormality, um, and ensure that you know that patient does not just go home and you know hide under a pillow. You know, we talk with uh, women who are being treated at Jacoby who told us that, you know, literally um, until their diagnosis, this one woman, this, a Hispanic a, a woman, told us, a Dominican woman told us that um, five women in her family, immediate family, aunts and sisters, had been diagnosed with breast cancer, and she did not know until her diagnosis. Wow. Is that, is that not amazing? Yeah. She did not know five women. And those are the type of cultural barriers that we're dealing with, um, let alone the financial barriers uh, that some women face. So Jacoby is hopefully the first of many hospitals located um, in low-income neighborhoods that our foundation will work with.
6: Well, I was given Robitussin for brain cancer. So <laughs>
4: <Robitussin>. <laughs> I heard Robitussin works for everything. You know, your husband... <laughs> Rub a little Robitussin on
6: it. Malak, your husband has a bit I about know. Robitussin that I, I carry know. with me for my it's entire life one. because of my story from 18 years ago. Exactly. So, And I was diagnosed before the bit, so when the bit <laughs> came out, my family went batshit, hysterical laughing for all the wrong reasons because it was just my story. that <laughs> I was given Robitussin for brain cancer, true story. Anyway, uh, end of segue... I wanted to talk a little bit about the word risk. Um, It's an uncomfortable word in this country, and it's an ever-increasingly important word in this country. Um, And when you're younger, you obviously get cancer for different reasons than when you're older. I think the biology has proven that, and, and Dr. Newman can confirm or deny that I'm an idiot. But at the end of the day, how do you worry about not instilling too much fear in people, but where's the balance of getting the right message out there and what's the role of the oncologist uh, in that process? Lisa.
3: Yeah, so you make some very very powerful points there and we do want the population, especially the female population of breast cancer can affect men and I do have to make a comment here that with uh, the perspective of triple negative breast cancers we think even more about men because men with breast cancer are going to be more prominent in the setting of uh, inherited risk for the disease. So when you think about male breast cancer and triple negative breast cancer, there is a link. But certainly for the female population where breast cancer is so uh, unfortunately common, we want women to be aware of risk so that they screen themselves diligently. And we do have effective ways of screening for breast cancer, screening to detect a breast cancer at an early stage stage, when it's most likely to be uh, treated with curative intent. So this would be mammogram annually starting at age 40, but for women with inherited predisposition, we might start those screening mammograms at even younger ages. Women with inherited predisposition, we might want to use breast MRI for screening them as well. The whole point being that if you detect the breast cancer at a small size, even if it's a triple-negative breast cancer. If you detect any breast cancer at a small size earlier, we are more likely to treat it successfully. So we want women to understand their risk in terms of knowing that they are less likely to suffer the consequences of the cancer if they detect the cancer earlier and are treated at an earlier stage. But you're right. We don't want to instill too much fear because we don't want people to become paralyzed. And so fearful of a disease that they give up hope and don't uh, protect themselves, and it is a very um, difficult uh, juggling act, so we just have to make sure that people understand that screening for a disease is very much akin, very much related to conquering that disease.
5: And, Dr. Newman, I want to ask you a little about the Supreme Court case right now on uh, patenting the genes for the testing for BRCA1. That's obviously, you know, something I had pretty quick. I, You know, I didn't have a choice. I had to have a mastectomy. But, you know, BRCA testing is huge in the triple negative community, whether you're African-American, whether you're um, Ashkenazi Jewish. I was in the high-risk category once I knew a triple negative for BRCA1. So what are your thoughts on the, on the patenting of the genes for this test, if there's only one place that does it, Do you have any personal opinion on that?
3: Well, I actually became very involved with the research related to triple negative breast cancer because my uh, research background always focused on disparities in breast cancer and in particular disparities related to African um, ancestry and the high risk of um, aggressive patterns of disease in African Americans. And that's how over the years I kind of fell into Um, being uh, very especially concerned about the concept of triple-negative breast cancers. And so there being this higher risk of having inherited breast cancer if you have a triple-negative, this certainly does make me feel uh, uh, very drawn to the arguments about how you can have BRCA testing performed. It is very costly, as things stand now with one company having the patent to do the testing. And from the perspective of somebody who worked, you know, many, many decades, has been concerned about disparities in breast cancer related to African ancestry and related to socioeconomic status, it is heartbreaking to me to see that some women are not able to have the genetic counseling and genetic testing that might um, enable them to take care of their health better because of these cost issues. So, of course, I do have uh, personal feelings about um, doing anything and everything we can to lower the cost of some of these uh, expensive tests. I don't want to pretend to be an expert in public health policy and legislation, and so I'm not going to get on the soapbox and say that I know how companies should be running their business and sorting out their business. But I do very truly believe that something needs to be done to lower the cost of important health maneuvers that people, uh, that all women should, all people should have the right to, to access without it being in, um, a, 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 a financially backbreaking uh, endeavor.
6: And it goes I, I'm a uh, anthropology wonk by, by wish, and there's a commercial that pervades here in the New York City area where J.G. went with structured settlements. But they have a great slogan, which is "It's my money and I want it now." So I like to talk. You got to it.
2: say it the way they say it. It's what? How do they say it? It's kind of like a well. I can say this because you are one it's like
6: whiny Jewish. Like, <laughs> Thank it's you. It's my
2: money and I want it now. Well, I want
6: it's it's my day. It's my genome and I want it now. Yeah. That's that's what you know. That's my position. I have a question for the three of you. It's it's not really a loaded question, but it's the issue of clinical trials. We we all know, and most of our listeners know at this point that. The adoption of trials is at a a miserable 3 to 5% in in adults, Um, and uh, most Americans tend to have a stigma about them being guinea pigs and placebos, and that's not necessarily true. So uh, I understand uh, Andy was telling me that you guys fund a trial. I'd like to learn a little bit more about the tangible there and how how do you help ensure that there is adoption for it and then really try to – is there a destigmatization – you know, a marketing around it.
4: I think that's a Haley question. Um, I think that's a tough
7: question um, in the way that you pose it. I think that, um, I mean, first I'd like to acknowledge the fact that, yes, that is true. There is, you know, tremendous stigma, especially in certain communities, um, about clinical trials, what they mean, what it means in terms of, you know, whether you'll get the standard of care or you won't. At what point will you? At what point won't you? And are, you know, based on the group that you're in, you know, how will this affect your care? A lot of people are very um, reluctant to even approach it. However, within the triple negative breast cancer community, since there are no targeted treatments right now for triple negative breast cancer, I think it's, Incredibly important for our population to really consider every option, um, and so we have, as part of you know the resources that we offer through um, our website, a clinical trials matching service, um, which we've heard you know anecdotally from from patients that um, they were very pleased with um, in terms of the the amount of um, personalization that you know uh, comes into the i guess the, the formula that then spits out the um t- clinical trials that they're um able to uh take part in so we do uh, we do offer that service and we feel like it's very important for our community um and we are also in communications with you know, numerous other organizations and even with pharmaceutical companies who are, you know, trying to understand how better to educate um, people about clinical trials and really what they mean, what, why they're important, um, especially with a diagnosis like triple negative where targeted treatments are not available.
5: And Dr. Newman, a lot of talk has been out there about PARP inhibitors. Uh, I know that's one of the big trials. I know it's one of the trials that's definitely at Sloan-Kettering for triple negative breast cancer. I read about it all the time. I read everything I can. For
6: the layperson, what's the PARP inhibitor? I don't really know. Okay. I just know it's a treatment.
5: But I just know that I read everything I possibly can on triple negative. My doctor actually yells at me. She says, stay off the Internet. That's our job to decipher all the scientific information. And sometimes being smart is harmful for you. Dr. Google is my friend. I know. My doctor told me, I said, but I read this thing on copper, and what about, and she's like, unless you're eating copper pennies, she's like, I don't understand why you feel like you need to be (laughs) copper depleted. So my doctor said, stop reading everything you can get your hands on. She's like, you will drive yourself insane. So I just want to ask Dr. Newman a little bit about PARP inhibitors. I know that's one of the major, you know, it shows a lot of promise for treating triple negative breast cancer. So I don't, I know it's a treatment. I don't really know how it's given or what exactly it is, or, you know, I just know it's for, I believe, metastatic disease. So, Dr. Neumann, I'll let you tell a little bit about, you know, hopefully what is the future of treating triple negative.
3: Sure. So I, I share your enthusiasm about the future of PARP inhibitors. We've all been talking about targeted therapy, and the whole point of targeted therapy is that you want to individualize cancer treatment so that you... Um, You offer treatments that uh, specifically focus on the type of cancer that a, a person has as opposed to just generally killing any rapidly dividing cells, which is what cancer cells are, but that's what chemotherapy does. It kills any rapidly dividing cancer cells. But if you can target the specific markers on specific cells, you'll treat that cancer with less toxicity to the rest of the body. Now, PARP inhibitors aren't exactly targeting a specific marker on these cells that we call triple negative uh, breast cancer cells but they are targeting a specific pathway that is very important in the ability of triple negative cancer cells to perpetuate themselves and to uh, to grow and metastasize so that's where they it is a very very exciting area of research for any new treatment of a cancer, we will tend to study it first in the cases that are most advanced where we've exhausted the other treatments that we have more information about in terms of side effects, toxicity, and effectiveness. And so that's why, as you mentioned, the PARP inhibitors have had the most um, attention thus far in the setting of metastatic breast cancer breast cancer that's already failed uh, first-line treatment and has uh, spread to other parts of the body, but there is a lot of enthusiasm that the PARP inhibitors will move into earlier stage disease more rapidly.
6: Well, we have about two or three minutes left. I wanted to close out with, um, you know, uh, the, first of all, how can people who are listening get involved with your organization?
7: Well, we are always um, looking for volunteers. Um, We uh, are going to be um, launching the second Triple Negative Breast Cancer Awareness Day um, next March, March of 2014, Um, and uh, that would that will offer many opportunities um, to take part in, you know, volunteering throughout the country. Um, this year for Triple Negative Breast Cancer Day, that was on 3-3-13. Uh, we had about 61 events taking place throughout the country, um, people, you know, coming together in their communities um, to raise awareness and to raise funds for the disease. Some people did things online. Other people, um, you know, banded together and did, you know, walks and lemonade stands with their kids, any type of um, event really to kind of bring a spotlight to the disease um, and to help us raise funds. So that is one way. Um, We're always happy to hear from people. Um, Our website, uh, tnbcfoundation.org, offers um, a lot of information about how to get involved um, and we're always happy to hear from people that want to support us and uh, help us raise awareness and funds.
6: And even outside of the the, uh, just breast cancer itself, the efforts you're making to build inroads to the disparity communities set a precedent for other charities as well, correct? We hope so. (laughs) Well, I I, I hope
4: so as well. I mean, I think that um, there are lots of amazing, um, wonderful uh, foundations that um, are already doing disparity work. Um, Coleman, you know, is 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 amazing and what they do, a Sisters Network, is a tremendous um, breast cancer organization, really focused on African American women and breast cancer. But I think what makes we we hope what we're doing um, specifically um, different, and we feel it's necessary, it's it's very needed, is that we are focusing on triple negative. We are focusing on a disease that disproportionately affects. Um, the African-American population and our, you know, real mission to ensure that every woman, regardless of race, regardless of economic um, background, uh, has a level p- playing field, has, has access to all of the cutting-edge treatment that we've talked about during this broadcast. Um, that is something that I, as a board member Um, I'm just so passionate about but also I know my fellow board members are as well Um, our medical advisory board has been so supportive and Haley as our acting um, executive director has uh, made it a priority so um, I I do think that the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation um, can make a meaningful difference that is needed at this particular time
6: well, one of the uh, things we like to have here on the radio show are guests who share progress, and everyone likes when there actually is progress. And I think the the growth of your organization filling a need and giving a voice to people who didn't know they could have a voice, it, it mirrors the young adult cancer movement, and it's just a sign that we're doing something right and that there's a real demand for this, and we are going to be the folks that make that difference. So I, I, I commend you. I can't wait to meet you. I, I congratulate you from one nonprofit founder CEO to another nonprofit CEO and an amazing board of directors. Um, medical advice. This is it's it's a real Cinderella story. What you guys are doing. So uh, thank you so much for coming on the show and and helping us raise a little more awareness for triple negative breast cancer. This show lives in the archives forever. It's there for people to search and listen to in perpetuity. Um, and uh, The website again is tnbcfoundation.org, correct? Yes, yes. Thank you so much, Malak Compton Rock, Haley Dinerman, and uh, Lisa Newman. Thank you, ladies, so much. Thank
5: you. Thank you. Thank you. you. Good show. It was a good show.
6: They know their stuff.
5: Yeah. It was all about me.
6: It It was your uncle narcissism show. It
5: was. It was a little bit, but. You know, it's exciting because it's so fun. One of the things that Dr. Newman said that really made me happy as she said it is everyone keeps talking about mortal, like how um, deadly triple negative is and how the mortality rate is so high. And that is so frustrating because when I tell people I had triple negative breast cancer, they look at me like, when's this girl's funeral? And it's so frustrating to have that negative association with a disease and a lot of it's based on old research right. a lot of change has happened and there's so many exciting things that are like on the cusp of being a targeted treatment I mean, triple legged breast cancer we'd love to have our own herceptin right which is for the her2 breast cancers or our own tamoxifen which is for the estrogen positive breast cancers we'd love to have our own targeted treatment and um you know it is no secret that get busy sequencing exactly <laughs> it's no secret that it's very aggressive and it's not the good kind to get as my doctor told me when she told me a triple negative she said this wasn't the news that I wanted but you know what it's you know I was caught early you know people are diagnosed at all different stages but it's so good to have the organization work so much against A the stigma of the disease that everyone who gets it dies but also to help the people who are diagnosed whether they're later stage or they have a recurrence or whatever it may be that they're there to help them and to help them find a the clinical trials and the information that they need, because sometimes that's all we have. And I have to grasp onto whatever good news or positive news, or ex- that's why I read everything, because I like to know what's out there. You know, God forbid, it comes back or whatever might happen. I like to know what's out there.
6: Thank you, Dr. Google.
1: Exactly. Well, and-
6: Do- Dr. Penzer, your audit of this show.
1: Mm-hmm. Very powerful, very informative. um I like to say there are no coincidences in life, just endless opportunities and possibilities, so that here I am wandering into your studio after trying for many months to get here and it's a show about breast cancer, and my daughter's a breast cancer survivor, and my crusade is to reach out as a psychologist and help people dealing with cancer, both as the survivors and as the heart and soul givers, which are my terms, uh, this is the beginning of a wonderful marriage between my crusade and stupid cancer crusade, and I just want to keep exploring all the ways we can work together. Thank you so much for having me here.
6: Thank you, Bill. Thank you. Kenny, Annie, great show. Thank you. Good to have time Kenny a, back. I, 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 we, I did so much. I that just, that you're, you're The ass-cheek impression reversed yes. itself. You have to recreate mm-hmm. it.
5: All
2: oh, right. <laughs>
0: Never mind.
6: I know where you were going with that. Okay, now it's time for our closing sequence.
1: Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the Have
6: uh, You ever seen a grown man naked?
1: And so to all of you, a fond
6: farewell.
1: Hooray!
6: I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible. I think you gave me cancer.
2: Okay, folks, that's our show number two sixty-four. Wow. We hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at stupid
6: cancer. Special thanks to our guests tonight, Rachel Poppas Milo Compton Rock, Haley Dinnerman, and Lisa Newman.
5: And join us next Monday as we welcome particular cancer survivor and comedian H. Ellen Scott to share his story. And we'll be joined by Suzanne Scala and Melody Melanie Goldish of Super Sibs and Whitney. I
6: have no idea how to pronounce your last name.
5: Okay, well, we'll learn from before next Monday. <laughs> Discuss the unique and unmet needs of siblings from the cancer journey, specifically in childhood, adolescence, and young adulthood.
6: SuperSibs.org on the show next week. Okay, folks, if you've missed any of our past shows, download them all for free on iTunes at iTunes.stupidcancer.org. Or check out the archives at stupidcancershow.org. Remember, if it ain't stupid, it ain't cancer. Live from the Chemo Deck, on behalf of Kenny Kane, Annie Goodman, myself, and our whole team here at the Stupid Cancer Show, have a great week, we'll see you back here next Monday live at 8 p.m. Good night, folks. Good night, night everybody. Tours,
4: so uh, uh, you know what it is, know
3: what it is, With Lucky landslots, you can get lucky
0: just about anywhere.
4: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry.